Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Before we read God's word, let's go to him in a prayer for illumination. Lord God, we pray that you send your spirit to us as we hear your word to us today. May what we hear today stir our hearts and minds to seek you and to grow in faith, hope, and love, and usher us into another week of living in your presence. Amen. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night will you be demanded, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. While Jesus is teaching his disciples in the midst of a great crowd, a man suddenly yells out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In the ancient Near East, inheritances consisted mainly of land, which would usually be given in lump to all of a man's sons with the expectation that they would share it and work it together. If the brothers couldn't or didn't want to share, the land would be divided according to Israelite law. Traditionally, the oldest son would inherit a double portion of the land, leaving the rest of the sons with significantly less land. In rabbinic law, the land could be divided at the request of one brother, and the division obviously favored the older brother, because they would get the largest slice of the pie. This made it much more likely for the older brother to request a division. The man knew that Jesus was a rabbi, an expert in the law who could settle disputes over the division of inheritances. And he probably hoped to use Jesus to sign off on a division of the family farm that favored him and gave him the double portion leaving his brother with half the land he would have had before the division took place. Jesus refuses, saying, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus detects the selfish intentions of the man and refuses to sanction the division between the two brothers. He sees the man's greedy intentions and turns the interaction into a teaching moment. He then turns to the people gathered around and gives them both a warning and a parable. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. 
A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A certain rich man had a good harvest. He got on the field early, gentle rains nourished the seeds, the sunshine warmed the earth and ripened the crops. And by harvest time, the field was a shimmering sea of golden wheat. In fact, the year's harvest was so great that the rich man had a problem. He had no room to store his crops. After consulting with himself and doing a bit of problem solving, the rich man decides that he needs to build new barns that can accommodate the new influx of crops. With his possessions safely tucked away and his granaries filled to the rafters, the man can plan out an early retirement of leisure, fine dining, and merriment. Everything is going perfectly. But in the midst of his daydreaming, God bursts onto the scene and throws a wrench in the rich man's plans. He calls the rich man a fool and announces that all of the rich man's plans are in vain because this very night he will die. He will not be able to enjoy all the goods he has stored up for himself. The rich man will die alone, condemned as a fool, and surrounded by all the goods he looked up to for the good life that will now be left to someone else. The rich man was surprised to learn that his life did not consist in the abundance of his possessions, but was upheld by the sovereign providence of God. Jesus ends this shocking tale saying, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. To Jesus' audience, the man in this parable would likely have been viewed as a selfish, dishonorable crook. Wheat was the main staple in the ancient Near East, used to make bread the main substance of life. In the limited resource economy, he was hoarding food that others were in desperate need of. He was robbing others of life. Perhaps one of the most poignant examples we can compare with today is the toilet paper hoarders who cleared the shelves last spring, leaving others not knowing where their next roll was coming from. In the minds of Jesus hearers, there was an obvious solution to the rich man's grain problem. Give it away or sell it. But the poor do not even cross the rich man's mind. No one else at all seems to cross the rich man's mind. His focus is so utterly on himself. We hear of no one else in the parable, to the point that the only person the rich man talks to in order to problem solve is himself. Notably, the rich man does not even acknowledge God or bring him into his calculations. Psalm 14 begins with the words, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. The rich man does not acknowledge God, mention God, or take any religious considerations into his planning. He seems to think that if God exists, he is up in the heavens somewhere and doesn't care or play a role in life here on earth. What a shock it would have been to suddenly find God talking to him. God declares the rich man is a fool. In the Bible, foolishness has moral connotations as well as the intellectual meaning we often associate with it today. The man was a fool because he failed to follow both parts of Jesus' summary of the law. The man does not love God with his whole being. He doesn't even acknowledge God's existence. And he does not love his neighbor as himself, because the poor 
and the needs of others do not even cross his mind. He does not see the needs of others and has isolated himself by hoarding up wealth. He is condemned for neglecting the poor, putting faith in his wealth, and failing to be rich toward God. After all, it is God who blessed him with his abundant yields. The text says the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So there is no activity on the part of the man responsible for the quality of his crops. The man plants, but it is God who makes it grow. The rich man did not heed the words of Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. The rich man thought only about himself and fell victim to the lie that life consists in the abundance of possessions. But his possessions could not save him, though he had food to last him a lifetime. His life was demanded of him, and his goods were lost to be enjoyed by someone else. In our world today, we might be inclined to hold the rich man up as a model of sound financial planning. We might wonder exactly how this man is a fool. He seems to have budgeted well, set financial goals, had a good savings plan, and made a good honest living as a farmer. He worked hard, and he had full rights to the fruits of his labor. He did well for himself, and that is what matters. Perhaps it would have been commendable if he had given a bit more to worthy causes, put a few more dollars in the offering plate, but that is ultimately optional because others should be able to look after themselves as well. We might even be jealous of the rich man, thinking along with him that he is set and that he hasn't made. Throughout our lives, in school, media, books, and advertising, we hear the constant message, life consists in the abundance of one's possessions. In the wisdom of the world, we are told that we will have made it once we own that prime piece of real estate, that cottage on the lake, or the flashy sports car, or if we can retire at 55. Our guiding political principles reflect John Locke's summary of humanity's natural rights as life, liberty, and property. The writers of the American Constitution drew a con direct connection between possessions and happiness by changing Locke's third natural right of property to the pursuit of happiness. Our culture's vision of the ideal life is one in which we do as little work as possible for the most money possible. Money gives us a sense of control, of power over our lives, and freedom to do what we want. But eventually, this trust of money and possessions is revealed to be utter foolishness. And it is not only the rich who need to watch out for all kinds of greed. You do not need to have lots of money to look to possessions for the good life. 
The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz is a novel that tells the story of Duddy, a poor Jewish boy from Montreal. In the book, Duddy's grandfather told him when he was young, a man without land is nobody. Duddy latches onto this statement and makes it his life's ambition to acquire land and become somebody. After hearing about some land up for sale, Duddy takes out some loans, starts a business, makes connections, and manipulates and cheats his way to buying the land. In the process, Duddy drives away his friends, rejects the opportunity to see his sick uncle before he dies, and suffers a nervous breakdown. Once Duddy does finally get the land, even his grandfather ends up rejecting him, embarrassed and disappointed by his grandson's unethical methods. In the process of achieving what he thought would fulfill his life, Duddy loses everything of real value and ends a tragic figure. Whether we are rich or poor or anywhere in between, we can be taken captive by the pursuit of wealth and possessions. In the end, we might find that our pursuit has led us to abandon everything we had of real value. This morning's passage does not end happily. Jesus uses the parable of the rich fool as a warning against greed and the lie that life consists in the abundance of possessions. Jesus opens the eyes of those listening to the futility and foolishness of a life lived for goods. After giving his example of what not to do, Jesus then teaches his disciples the proper attitude to take toward possessions and the way to live a life under God's grace. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. The disciples do not need to fear, because God the Father provides even for the plants and the animals. Will he not provide even more graciously for his children? Jesus reveals that the sun, rain, growth of crops, and the resources humanity has been blessed with are gifts. In theological terms, we tend to call this common grace, the good things all people receive that reveal that God is alive and active. And the source of all good things. But in Jesus, God has gone even further and offers special grace that leads to eternal life. The combination of these wonderful provisions frees God's people from fixation on possessions. Special grace enables those who believe in Christ and trust the Father to pursue heavenly treasure that does not run out, that is stored where it cannot be stolen and where it will not be destroyed. Jesus guarantees renewed life for those who accept his message and believe in his saving power. He provides his followers with a new life motto, an alternative to the world's motto that life consists in abundance of possessions. The people do not need barns filled to the rafters, because Jesus is the true bread of life that satisfies. The rich man's goods could not ward off his death, and he could bring nothing of earthly value with him. But Jesus has defeated death, and he provides hope for the restoration of all things. He demonstrates and offers a new way of life, guided by the love of God rather than fear of want, a life in which they can be rich toward God. But what does being rich toward God mean? When we know God's love and care for us, and we put our trust in him, 
We are freed from our reliance on our possessions and better able to give generously to others. The Christian life consists of love of God and love of others. God does not need our material gifts for his own use because God is spirit. So he calls us to give to others as though we were giving to him. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Likewise, the prophet Micah calls Israel to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. All much better things than the most extravagant sacrifices the Israelites could offer. We can support kingdom causes like the ministries and organizations we support through our weekly offerings. We can watch out for and help our literal neighbors across the street if, we are going, if they are going through a hard time. We are presented with all sorts of opportunities to show love to others with our money, our time, our abilities, and our attitudes. And these opportunities hold a far greater benefit than hoarding our blessings to ourselves. While our possessions are ultimately powerless to safeguard our lives, Christ offers the gift of eternal life and invites us to give to others in gratitude to him. Jesus' warnings about being on guard against all kinds of greed and that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions comes in full force to us today. Though we know and say that life does not consist in what we have, that knowledge does not always penetrate down to our actions and attitudes. We have many ways of tricking ourselves into sanctioning our own sins of greed and selfishness. But even warnings can carry grace. Most of us have probably watched, read, or heard an adaptation of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, in which Ebenezer Scrooge, a miserly businessman, is visited by three ghosts. Each ghost warns him of the coming doom his greed and selfishness will bring upon him, and he is cut to the heart and repents of his ways. We might have expected Scrooge to be charitable out of fear for his soul, knowing but grudging his duty to those around him. However, by the end of the story, we see Scrooge, Scrooge's life changed so that he truly wants to be generous. His heart is changed and is moved to compassion so that at the end of the story, he is genuinely joyful, generous, and caring, and not simply afraid that he will be punished if he is not. As the ghosts of Christmas worked in Scrooge's heart, not simply to scare him into submission, but to transform his heart. So God uses the Holy Spirit and his word to warn us, to convict us of our sins, transform our hearts, and make us into new creations. The power of the Spirit changes how we see the world and shows us what is of true value in life. Christ not only warns us under threat of punishment, he assures us that we too are included under the Father's care. We are drawn by the love of God, revealed to us in Christ Jesus. We receive comfort in this life, knowing that God holds the world and provides for our daily needs. Moreover, he has provided life beyond the grave. We can receive Jesus as the bread of life that binds us together as a church and sanctifies our hearts and minds. God offers salvation as a free gift, and there is nothing we can offer to deserve it. We should not think that our good works and giving will save us, but
but rather desire to love and serve God and neighbor with thankfulness for that salvation and restoration that we have in Christ. In Christ, we are freed from the lie and destruction that come from thinking that possessions can save and satisfy us. We are equipped to see beyond ourselves to others whose needs can be met from our surplus. True life consists in the provision of God the Father, the saving power of Christ the Son, and the transformation through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, though we know in our minds and proclaim with our mouths that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, we often live according to the ways of our economically obsessed world. Forgive us when we raise up idols. We pray that you stir in us a faith that looks to you for all we need and an awareness of those in need around us, that we might witness to the gift of salvation that we have received from you. We thank you for all the blessings you have provided for us. Amen.